When you hear the rooster cry, then you know it's time for the news. And it's not just any kind of news. It's the news with a Z. And that tells you something about it, which we can't really explain, which is me, Tim Pritlove, and Mark von Zicarondero. Hello. <laughs> Standard configuration, Berlin, Amsterdam connection. That was my, my rooster cry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello. Because hello. There, there's a lot of, you know, oh. to complain about, you know, in, in the news section. Yes. And, uh, yes, there is. That's why. That's why we're here. That's why mm -hmm. we're here. This is correct. Uh, that's why we give you the update on stuff you might have already heard about a lot. And now we are here <laughs> yeah. to repeat it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just when you thought you didn't hear any enough about all of the new subjects we're going to bring, yeah. we're going to bring you more. Uh, yeah. Let's start with the uh, probably most talked about topic the last two weeks. Although I think now it's starting to decline in the so-called news cycle a little. Uh, but we have to give an update on the Ukraine. Um, not too many sort of, you know, exciting action kind of news stuff, but the details are, the new details, Sunday. Sunday, we've got a referendum in the Crimea, and that's the referendum for joining Russia or, I guess, not joining Russia. Uh, this referendum has, of course, been self-declared and not recognized. Well, I guess the Ukraine has said in the past they won't recognize the result, but they may not have a choice. The US and I believe the EU have said they won't recognize the result, which if we fast forward, actually means if they vote to join Russia, it'll just be another region in the world that's part of Russia, but not officially part of Russia. Yeah, they're, they're joining the group I was <laughs> already talking about last time. What, what do we call this group? The frozen group? No, the, <laughs> the pretty Russian group. It's something for democracy. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. You had the organization. Yeah, Damn it's it. basically oh. the, you know, the unrecognized states and all those uh, Russian satellites floating around Europe and, and, and the Balkans and stuff. So, oh. yeah, I'm pretty sure they're going to join. Although in this case, it's really, I mean, they're really moving ahead here. It's not only being independent, you know, and split off from, from the other country. This time it's really about becoming a part of Russia. And this makes this whole story even more annoying. On the other hand, it's if you look at the, the, the news in the West, you know, they're all, you know, oh, Russia, how could you do that? And it's so wrong. And nobody really looks at the mistakes the EU might have made or the West in, in, in general, you know. And now we are in a phase... After this long talks and, and trying to find some way of doing an association with the EU, you know, now everything has to be so quick. You know, here's the money, you know, yeah, visit Obama. Uh, and now, now they're really into the recognition uh, business to, you know, pump up Ukraine to be a premier member of what kind of club ever this might be. Yeah. You know? And Russia is the bad guy. But if you look at the details, you can... I mean, I don't... I wouldn't say that, that the way Russia is operating this whole thing is okay. It's not, you know. Mm. They're probably mm -hmm. violating every <laughs> international law out there. 
But yeah. on the other hand, nobody it's their reaction to nobody understanding their point. Right. I actually I've learned I've learned a lot these these I don't know what have we got two weeks now with this almost um about Ukraine, about Russia. First of all, I was asking this to my dear Russian partner over here. Um is Russia the only country in the world that in their constitution has a provision that says we protect Russian speakers in in our neighboring countries? Because like if I think about it like there are not you know we haven't seen an example where the U.S. would go into Canada or anything, but, um, you know, Portugal won't help a Portuguese-speaking country. I mean, not militarily or anything very heavy. Spain wouldn't... I don't think there's any other language group where the peop- the country would go to a neighboring country and say, we have to protect our speakers there. This is a pretty Russian thing. And uh, and I'm not saying it's completely crazy. I'm just saying it's 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 unique to Russia and that people kind of accept this. Um, but yeah, I've learned lots of things, like the fact that, um, well, we know about this whole it was a gift thing during the Soviet Union, but someone phrased it to me, you know, it it wasn't a big deal being part of the Ukraine as long as the Ukraine was close with Russia. Yeah. In a Ukraine that's no longer close with Russia, the people of the Crimea are no longer happy. Uh, they've lost their connection to Russia. So, so that explains why now, above all, they want to do this. Um, you know, I learned other things like uh, first country to break away from the Soviet Union. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, and and uh, other little post-World War II facts about Ukraine. And there's, uh, yeah, history is one of those things missing from a lot of news reports. And even here, I mean, I'm not giving a, a real historical uh, analysis, but the more you read, the more you'll find it absent. And instead you get this sort of Cold War rhetoric like, they're out of control, uh, you know, Russia must be stopped. Uh, which has led to what we have now is some sanctions coming from both the EU and the US. Uh, the EU sanctions are supposed to come Monday, and the US sanctions are still held up <laughs> in Congress. Uh, but they're basically, the US is going to give a billion or so to the Kiev government, and the EU is putting a travel ban on anyone connected to violating human rights in the Ukraine, and that includes Russian officials. So it's basically some kind of travel ban on official people that are accused of crimes. I don't know if Putin himself is not allowed in the EU. I somehow, ah, somehow doubt it. I, I doubt that too. <laughs> because in a way, I mean, it's funny that, that now Germany has sort of taken the lead in, in how to deal with this whole uh, situation. Uh, yes. I mean, if there's any, any country that has any leverage on Russia, it's Germany. And I think they're pretty wise in the way they're dealing with it because just shouting out loud like, oh, yeah, yeah, sanctions everywhere, you know. Sanctions, when applied like, you know, small needles to cause, you know, defined pain here and there, okay, that might work in addition to the general uh, diplomatic discourse. Sanctions as in, oh, yeah, we're going to shut your country down, you know. Because we yeah. know better and, and, and we are so powerful. Uh, first of all, all the power of Germany and the EU wouldn't probably be enough. I mean, they would be able to cause Russia a lot of problems. But Russia, on the other hand, is also able to cause the EU uh, a lot of problems. Uh, if not only just for, you know, being more aggressive in other areas of the world too. You know, because now <laughs> they just don't care anymore. So it's a very delicate way how to operate. And I, I think the EU 
should well think about if their strategy has been correct uh, from the beginning. Mm. Especially this mm. Maidan and, and, and post-revolution government, you know, that includes the right-wing groups. Uh, of course, you could say, like, they don't have any influence and so on, but it adds to the story that Russia sort of, you know, cares about what's going on there. And they feel Europe, in whatever form, creeping up to their borders. You know, it's more or less, I wouldn't say surrounded, but, you know, <laughs> closely neighbored by many countries that are now in the NATO, that are in the EU, and so on. So that's adding to this general unease in, in Russia, where they think it's time for straight action. And the way they define straight action... You know, that's very annoying, but that's how they roll. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, oh, yeah, one more thing. I, I Sorry to be so scatterbrained, but one more thing I wanted to add that I learned is the Ukrainian-Russian border is considered the second busiest uh, corridor of travel in the world, uh, border anyway. Uh, and the amount of Ukrainians working in Russia is uh, is quite significant. And I wondered about them in a situation where the Ukraine is more closed towards Russia, like what happens to them? Can they go to work? The, Do they want to move to Russia? The second busiest border in the world. Yeah, in terms of, I guess, working migration corridor. Uh -huh. I'll, what's, I could what's, find. what's the busiest one? Oh, that's a good quiz. Uh, I, I think the Canadian-US one should be on the top five. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, mm, that, that, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Not going to look it up now. Mm -hmm. What's the busiest one in the world? US, has a pretty U.S. Mexico. <sighs> that might win, but that's unofficial. A lot of time. Well, no, even officially, it's quite busy. That might win. Yeah, hmm. that is one of the one of the biggest. It would otherwise it would have to be two countries that have statistics. really good relations. I, I wonder if there's an appropriate uh, Wikipedia page like list of the most busiest of the busiest it's, borders in the world. They usually have some kind of things. I'll work on it as we go. Oh, I'll, I'll yeah. We're, we're giving you all <laughs> oh. the details on busy borders. Oh, oh, I've got it. Well, at least the busiest border in the world is the uh, U.S.-Mexico border. Hey, but again, I've this, got one point. This, <laughs> this could be a very specific set of criteria, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't say, in second place, Ukraine... <laughs> Uh, it was actually an article, I believe, in the NPR or some U.S. source. But uh, anyway, there you go. Uh, number one, Mexico, U.S. But Ukraine and Russia have hope of one day being up there <sighs> getting the gold medal. Okay, onwards with the news. And we got to go to Turkey because this was just yesterday, uh, a news item from this week. Street battles have erupted all over Turkey. Uh, don't check the date on your um, on your MP3 player. It's not last year. These are uh, big street fights between people who... Well, it started at a funeral of a teenager who had actually been injured in last year's protests, who'd been in the hospital all this time and only now died after 200-plus days in the hospital. And after the funeral, police came or police were there and people began battling it out, tear gas, the usual, rubber bullets. I hate to say the usual, but I did. Um, and then in different cities all over Turkey, people, similar things started to happen. And this has been, well, at least for now, a, a sort of return to what we had last year. I wonder if it's going to continue. You do have an election coming up 
in Turkey, which is seen as a big test for, well, in many ways, the prime minister who protesters blame for what's happened in the country, especially the the deaths in the protests. Actually, in this protest this week, two people have now been confirmed dead. I read that this morning. Mm. Um, And there's been this big corruption scandal. I think we've made mention of it at least once. Um, And it it puts basically Erdogan and his party uh, in the middle of some money uh, stealings, (laughs) dealings. And this doesn't look good for him, although it's such a strong party that it's hard to say this is going to bring him down. But it looks like this is the biggest challenge he's had in his, ooh, I don't know, he's been in there since 2002, 2003. So this is the biggest challenge he's had ever. And he lost one of his main uh, allies in this other is, um, well, it's a religious party. I forget what they're called, but uh, they Gülen. basically break with the, uh, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 enemy number one. He lives in the U.S. And uh, obviously they try to turn things around. Uh, it's interesting that they're both more or less um, located in this religious spectrum of yeah. uh, parties. Nobody really talks about any other kind of spectrum uh, these days, but you never know. You know, once uh, things heat up, uh, it all might go pretty quickly. I mean, Erdogan has basically wielded any sword that he could get his hand on to defend his enemies here. And mm-hmm. he's, uh, you know, he's going for the internet. He uh, was kicking huh. out police uh, and, 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 and judges, you know, whoever just dared to stand up against him or any of his uh, relatives, you know, got immediate punishment somehow. And I don't know anything about the Turkish public here. I think there are quite many people who still, you know, just ignore all this news and still think he's a hero and look what he's done and so on. Uh, Although it's also pretty sure that the critical mass of people uh, who strongly oppose him is also growing. And and the question is if the next elections will do any real uh, change to the situation. Um, Yeah, I think his time is over. Yeah. Uh, Just not so sure that he knows it and that, you know, will have any effect on the current situation at all. Yeah. And how quietly he'll go when his time comes or will he somehow... I'm not saying he's a total dictator or anything like that, but, you know, what he won't do to disrupt things and make a mess as he's voted out. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll probably be hearing more from Turkey, especially in the lead up to the election. Uh, Next item is the Malaysia Airlines. Now, we don't always uh, talk so much about uh, airline accidents. Uh, Sometimes that's because there's not so much to talk about. It's, uh, you know, thankfully they don't happen so often. But you had this, for now we call it, disappeared flight. Uh, Malaysia Airlines flight that was going from uh, Malaysia to China, to Beijing, and you've certainly heard this story. This is one of those in the news. Uh, at first, it disappeared. No report on you know where it is. Then there was an oil patch in the sea. And uh, several countries are involved in the rescue. They thought maybe it was the plane. It wasn't the plane. Then you get this little bits of story about two people on the plane having stolen passports that were heading to China. Uh, is this something? Did they do something on the plane? You know, Nobody knows. It's all just bits of information. Uh, I hear quite often about the families of the, of the people on the plane being quite angry with those giving the information. Uh, I guess, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And apparently the authorities have done it mostly the wrong way 
Um, and I read this morning, you know, China is, is going to keep looking. They're actually stepping it up. Um, but no one really knows. And this is one of those amazing things. It's not the only flight. I remember that, that France to Brazil flight. I think it was Air France. Still to this day, we don't fully know what happened. We know bits and pieces. Um, and uh, I wanted to share a source on this story, or at least for answers about things like this. Uh, the website is Ask the Pilot, uh, and I heard them referenced in a radio um, story on this on this whole mystery. And he answers a lot of questions from a pilot's point of view, including like, why wouldn't you have radioed uh, any uh, anyone saying, you know, Mayday, mm-hmm. I'm going down? And he explains th- simple things, but like you think about the radio last. First, it's like fly. Second, it's um, safety of the passengers, and third, it's radio or something like that. Uh, it's something better than that, actually. Yeah. And uh, and it's interesting to hear it from a pilot's point of view. You know, he talks about how this stuff is still very possible. It doesn't happen so often, but it is possible. And there's even questions about how do you not see the signal from this transponder oh, you know, that what, shows what, where the plane what, what is. What said? What is possible? What what stuff is possible? A plane can be lost. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and not heard from for a very long time, and possibly never. Uh, you know, it, it, depending on where in the sea it crashes. Uh, and and why and how, um, you know, the, we all know that the taking off and the landing of a plane is the riskiest time, and that's when most accidents occur. Okay, so it's neither of those. We know that, uh, but what happens in the air? Usually, there's not that many possibilities, but still, we 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 don't know. And uh, it's it's amazing, actually, in this day and age, this can still happen. It kind of reminds me of how big the world really is, even though we hear so much about how everything is tracked, everything is findable, which is true on the internet, but a, a plane is still um, not purely virtual. Yeah, it's still a big planet, and things yeah. can get lost. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really amazed by this story. I don't... Yeah, it's yeah. really strange, because everything is uh, open, and Well, they seem to be convinced that's not a terrorist attack. Or at least those hints they had in the beginning that there were two passengers with uh, stolen passport or used stolen passports. They were just out for seeking asylum in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and not so much into you know taking the plane somewhere else. So right. it's uh, a mystery. And of course, we're going back to this plane once we know what happened. Yeah on this fateful day. Yeah. Strangely enough, although the possibility is really tiny, I still find myself kind of wish, wishfully thinking like, oh, you know, it, it maybe they, they had a problem and they just landed on a little tiny island and they're there. And I'm not saying it's lost. I'm not... <laughs> I just actually wonder if, like, maybe they're alive. We just haven't found them yet. <laughs> I really believe stuff like that. I've watched uh, way too much TV in my life. Oh, yeah. Okay, the lost theory. I, well, I, I think the only two yeah. really valid theories are either aliens uh, oh. or Chuck Norris. Oh. Uh, oh. No. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I accept not well yeah, now you I fight accept. this idea but you will see in the end <laughs> all right let's go for some anniversary news is newses because um you know it's always good to look at an item one year later especially if it's a it's a long-term problem it's been one year since the cyprus bank bailout think about that remember the cyprus bank bailout oh yeah so i'll 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 refresh all your memories it was march 25th ah it was march 25th When the banks went down, <laughs> uh, they got a 10 million international, uh, 10 million euro, 
bailout from the Euro Group, the European Commission, all kinds of people sending money. Ten billion. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, and the only condition, well, there were a couple of conditions, but one of the big ones was to close this Cyprus popular bank, Likey Bank. I remember that. Lots of sad faces outside of the bank. Um, and they've done all that. They followed the so-called instructions of what to do and to get their bailout, right? Take their medicine. And I've seen this um, on Bruegel, which we've uh, mentioned before on, here on News of the World, this analysis of how they've been doing. And it's been said, well, in terms of GDP, if you're into GDP, they're doing better than expected, uh, although unemployment is now at 16%, but but the economy didn't shrink as much as it was uh, predicted. And so now they're being considered, well, in pretty good shape, although it's too early to tell, and they'll get the next round of Oh, a couple of billion, I think. You get like this whole thing in pieces, right? You don't get all your 10 billion at once. So they've qualified for another round of, of the bailout money. And they're, you know, they're saying it's not another Portugal. It's not another Greece. It's more of an Ireland, which makes me wonder, how is Ireland doing, dear Irish listeners? Um, according to the, you know, financial types, it's doing better than expected. Uh, it's not a complete loss. Things are getting better. But I do wonder how that translates to real life on the street. Uh, we know about unemployment. Uh, I haven't heard from anyone in Cyprus in a long time. Uh, so according to the experts, Cyprus doing pretty good one year later, and the plan kind of works. A lot of pretties and kindas. Yeah, and you hear similar stories from 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 Greece. So I I still would consider this whole European building to be very instable, but at least it's not collapsing right now. Mm. Yeah, true, true. And I uh, and I mean people didn't lose. I think anyone who had under a hundred thousand or what was it? Was it was a specific number that most people wouldn't have reached didn't lose their money in all this. I mean that's that's pretty you know successful. Well, not successful, but that's reasonable, I think. <laughs> yeah, know, banks misbehaved. Yeah, yeah, and it's. It, it, I mean, it's. It's also, you know, yeah. I'm now. I'm looking for the word too. Uh, on the one hand, all the money that those with less than one hundred thousand actually have on the bank doesn't really add up to that much, you know. So in the end, it doesn't really matter that much. But it matters a lot to them, and for them not having that money. That would cause real problems in a totally different dimension in terms of, you know, being unemployed and, you know, need other kind of support. So you're just creating more problems yeah. through this. Uh, oddly enough, just as we get the semi-good report card about Cyprus, the, this week the governor of the Cypriot Central Bank, Panikos Dimitriades, uh, he resigned after being caught... Uh, with a secret deal with some American consultancy firm. Uh, he was getting paid, I don't know, 250000 a year or something to be a, uh, I don't know, share some information with a consultancy firm. So he quits, and uh, but that's okay, I guess. You know, no big deal. Uh, but apparently he should have told uh, authorities that he was working for this consultancy firm. So you still get some weird and sort of corrupt-sounding news out of a situation that's supposed to be improving. I wonder what's happened with that whole, you know, Cyprus was a place where, among others, Russian, I don't know, millionaires or semi-millionaires were storing a lot of their money 
in this sort of tax-free world. And I wonder if that's stopped or that's just going to come back now, just not at the likey bank anymore because that's gone. So I do wonder if, if that tradition is still going to come back. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Keep an eye out. Cyprus, one-year anniversary. More anniversaries. Uh, yes. There's a big one yes. in yes. Japan. It is three years uh, since... It's not really the anniversary of Fukushima so much as it's... Well, the news is they want to turn on more nuclear power plants. And we talked a lot about the number of plants. It was 54, I still remember. Um, And they were all turned off. And we've reported here on news that at least two have been turned back on in the last year. And we talked about the difficulties. It's uh, Japan. It's an island. It has to import all of its fuel if it's not going to do nuclear at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and the results have been, I think what we sort of feared or what they probably feared too, extremely expensive and their emissions are higher than ever. A big bump in emissions. This from the place that brought us the Kyoto protocol. Very embarrassing. And, uh, now, uh, reports are coming in, uh, one by one. Let's see. I think it's like 17, uh, plants or companies that control, uh, um, nuclear power plants have applied to start 17 plants this year. Um, it looks like the government has a plan or has accepted a plan that actually will bring back a lot of its nuclear power plants to try and, well, stop this whole emissions thing and especially uh, reduce the economic burden of paying for all this imported fuel. Uh, interestingly, they have stricter regulations, of course, since Fukushima and Restarting each reactor could cost about a billion in what they call fees, including a six-month review. So even if things go so-called smoothly, Japan could take, well, it could only turn on about 10 reactors a year in practice. I know I just told you they're trying to turn on 17 a year or this year, but they're probably only going to get 10 at the best, at best. Um, But it's all kind of, I think, sad in some ways or... Well, we knew this would happen. I don't read anything about what's going on with with alternative fuels. Um, I did run run into a lot of pro-nuclear, I'll call them pro-nuclear, scientists who wrote about how, you know, it's it's not all bad. A lot of the plants are well-designed. Fukushima was in a bad place, but there are plants that are well-designed and in the right place. And so, you know, the media has been really one-sided, saying, like, you know, nuclear is bad, nuclear is bad. Um, you know, I acknowledge a power plant could be better located than Fukushima, but I still thought the goal was 2030. That's what the prime minister once very proudly announced no more nuclear in 2030. And now it looks like, ah, forget we said that. It's a disgrace. I mean, I don't get why Japan isn't getting it, but they are obviously pretty good in, 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 in ignoring the realities like so many other countries who are still into nuclear power france all these calculations just don't work as long as you leave out the most important part that is how do you get away with the remains how do you deal with everything that is the result of this process which is highly radioactive waste nobody knows where to put it nobody knows knows what you know, how to deal with it, not a single country on this planet has an idea. And everybody is sort of pushing it into the future. It's like, oh, yeah, someday we'll find a way, you know, how to deal with it. But so far, nobody did. 
And Fukushima might be, you know, a big story in a way, but because it was a, you know, it was an accident and everything exploded and burned and still very difficult to handle. And there's so much radioactivity pouring into the Pacific Ocean. You know, nobody yeah. really knows how much, you know, and the, what are they going to do? Are they going to continue to do this? And, but all the other stuff is also there. All the waste is just lying around and it's, it's, it's radiating. And that's the problem. And that's why turning away from the nuclear option isn't really an option. You know, you just have to do it. And I think we can be very happy, at least in Germany, that, you know, the public opinion has led to, um, you know, e even our conservative government changed the course. And, Everybody who said, like, it's not possible with renewable energy. I mean, Germany is now at something like 25% of the energy is renewable. That's significant. Mm. That's also yeah. very significant in terms of, you know, how do you deal with Russia, you know, where you get all your gas from. Because mm. the more you are dependent on these kinds of fuel uh, sources, um, the more problems you have. And so going renewable is also uh, a way of becoming independent and nobody can tell me that's totally impossible for an island you know to take advantage of you know like the sea for instance sure they could do offshore stuff i am curious what's up maybe we'll find some new information because i haven't seen anything about for example like you say offshore wind or yeah i don't know any kind of yeah use of the water, water around absolutely Hmm. Wave power. Hmm. Yeah. Bad Japan. Yeah. Bad, bad. Bad, bad Japan. So we'll, we'll report as it happens. It looks like we'll see several nuclear power plants come back online, especially as you lead up to the summer with all the, I don't know, air conditioning and, and additional power use. Um, by the way, I did just look it up. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, nuclear waste uh, in Japan, it gets so-called reprocessed and then it gets put into these cylinders and they have HLW radioactive waste cylinders and then they're supposed to be put in a permanent disposal deep geological repository yeah that's where but, it's supposed to go but there yeah, is but they no, don't know where no there's no such place on this planet nobody really knows yeah. i mean it's not that we're talking about 1000 years here we're talking about a yes. much longer <laughs> yeah. period we don't even know if we're capable as humans to you know keep our current technology alive uh, Yeah. especially yeah. with the current energy model we have. Yes. If it was 1,000 years, we might go, hmm, oh, okay. Yeah, it's really one of those time frames where people who are in charge just say like, eh, I don't care, I'm going to be dead then anyway. Yeah. So why bother? True. True. All right. Japan, bad Japan. Uh, New York Times, uh, this is an op-ed piece, so it's not really breaking news, but I noticed it. And I brought it. Uh, What's an op-ed, please, please? It's an opinion piece by some fancy pants person who oh. has access to the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our fancy pants person this week is Eric Schmidt of Google. Oh, and, uh, that guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any opinion on him. So, uh, you know, it's Google. It's, yeah, we know what we think. Uh, over the, so th there's this whole, it's called The Future of Internet Freedom, and it's my recommended reading for this week. Uh, some of you, it's old news, but I, I like it because I like to think this could reach people who don't think about the topic very much or who don't, don't fully understand. And he does a whole breakdown of, well, basically, 
the places where people are going to be getting on the internet in the next decade are going to be mostly places where there's been a lot of censorship, right? That's pretty basic deduction. Places where the internet hasn't reached for different reasons, it will now reach, or you know, people will find ways. And he talks a lot about um, the governments that are still spend a lot of money and resources in censoring or um, tracking what you do on the internet. And then he talks about, on the other side, the people in this world, some of them could be listening to this program, who have been working to help people get around this censorship, to get past all this tracking, to be anonymous and so forth. And he talks about, of course, the big um, divide between huge amounts of money spent on censorship tools and the tiny budget <laughs> that there is for uh, the, the, Re- the Rebels tools, if I put it in Star Wars terms. And uh, he talks about how, you know, the average people could get involved. Uh, there are different ways, whether it's through funding, whether it's through pressuring your government. Um, you know, I think for our listeners, it's, uh, it's a well-known thing, but I thought it was cool to see it in the New York Times. Uh, I am always a little suspicious seeing it come from Google because although the, the thought is good, uh, the ultimate benefit of Google always makes me go, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Set the world free so that everyone could use your tools. Uh, but still, still, I thought it was a pretty good piece and I uh, thought people would enjoy reading yeah, it. Yeah, it's interesting that Eric Schmidt is now in the internet freedom trend, you know. Uh, he's sort of joining the movement now uh, pretty late. It's not so long ago that he was going uh, public with statements like, oh, yeah, you know, if you complain about your activities being covered up by surveillance, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done it in the first place. I was like, oh, yeah, thanks, Eric. Classic. <laughs> yes. Classic. This is, this is also the official uh, statement from most police forces. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't committed a crime, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. They totally leave out the possibility that whatever you think might be totally correct today can be something called a crime later on, you know? And uh, once everything is stored and looked at uh, later on, you know, these things can be turned against you too. So He's a he's a changed man, Tim. Changed man. Yeah. I I mean I also maybe just, I think it just ended the uh, South by Southwest conference. Uh, oh yeah, which yeah, is sort totally of spoke. the now the 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 Chaos Communication Congress of America because <laughs> oh. <laughs> they have the same speakers. Oh, oh, they got Snowden. Yeah, okay, <laughs> you got Snowden. We didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we asked him. <laughs> At least we tried, <laughs> but it wasn't the time. Uh, but seems he's more open to you know speaking live now. Okay. After also having talked to uh, the European Parliament, um, but the uh, what's the positive trend? The positive trend is that I see a discussion on issues of privacy and freedom and anti-surveillance in the U.S. that hasn't been there before. I mean, of course, mm. you had the EFF, you had two thousand six hundred in the hackers. You know, those guys are talking about this for ages now. But the general public is usually like, ah, well, you know, Google works well. You know, look what I can do, what kind of fancy things I can do with it. Yeah. You know, go away yeah. with all your freedom stuff. And I don't know if there is really a change in the mindset. Really? 
but these ask uh, these questions are asked you know yeah and people like snowden are welcomed on screen and and you know i'm i think there was standing ovations too wasn't there I yeah, heard yeah. about something like this. I haven't seen anything live. Someone stood, yes. Someone stood <laughs> up and and that's good because somehow they also recognize him as uh, somebody who actually, you know, brought light into the situation they weren't aware of before and not mm. follow blindly this oh he's a trader scheme, you know. So that's a good thing. And uh I welcome Eric Schmidt joining the uh, discussion better late than never. Yeah, and to do it in these mainstream places where you might reach people who haven't gotten the message or the information. I think it's uh, pretty significant. By the way, uh, another plug. I always like to promote little things for everyone to watch or read. Uh, again, very American, but interesting. This Frontline, which is a great news program from public media, uh, did a special this week called Generation Like. It is very old people feeling, like talking about the young, but it really breaks down um, things that maybe you already know, but how, especially in the U.S., uh, this whole world of likes and shares uh, between YouTube, Facebook, is sort of building or you know, disguised as building your your career for an individual and at the same time just a marketing machine. It's a, it's a nice breakdown of things we've been talking about for years. Um, and again, I think something that the average audience that maybe hasn't put it all together yet um, would understand. So it's a frontline generation like. You can find it. It's out there. I think even on their website you can watch them. Yeah, we'll link to it. Yes. Yes, it was good. I was watching it and I was like, you kids, what are you doing? No, no. Get off the YouTube. Why do no, you why do you like the like? Yes. Well, I don't like wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I um I appreciate the, the like to some extent, but I I hate this whole yeah, I wanna be famous thing. I don't wanna be famous. I yes, I like doing podcasts, but I don't need to be famous. I like to share and learn. That's that's more my thing. These guys I don't know. It's all I want to get sponsorships and then I'll wear this shirt while I while I record news of the world and uh I'll ride this skateboard while I'm bringing you the news. <laughs> yeah, let's bring the last piece and the news source of the week. Oh yeah, and the news source of the week is a uh, nerdy one. The MIT Technology Review. Uh it's uh well, you know MIT hopefully. And this one actually brought us the information about the Tokyo uh, or the Japan nuclear situation, but it's brought lots of other stories over its history. It's actually been around since 1899, founded of course, at MIT. And they've got a big staff of people. They're publishing in like six languages. Uh you know, they declare themselves independent uh source for real journalism, but yes, a focus yeah. on and just, technology. And just in case nobody knows what MIT is, it's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which is one of those leading universities uh, for technology in general. Uh, I think it's safe to yeah. say they are the leading university yeah. in terms of technology, yeah. are they? I'm going to say yes. I would hey, say that's, yes, too. That's where the term hackers comes from. Oh, yeah. MIT, right? It does. Yeah. That's where Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Yes. And that is, as we say in the news business, that is it for this week, I think, Tim. <laughs> yeah, for the moment. 
Yeah. But there's always news happening. So keep an eye out for it. Keep your eyes open. Uh, don't trip and fall. Yeah, we will do so too. Uh, any trips? No, no. I'm back from Portugal and uh, I am, I'm going to be working and raising funds to survive over here in Amsterdam. Okay, that's good. Yes. Yes. So, yes. Mark. Ah, uh, Tim, until next week. We say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>